Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood, tips and tricks, products we love, and brands that we can't live without. Let's get into it. So, how are you? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm good. I've um, recovered from the mammoth week at work and I'm just enjoying a day of kind of just doing my own thing. It's really lovely not having to set the alarm at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, I I bet that is pretty, pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) 6am feels like like a day at the spa. Does it? You're not wor- you're not worried about early wake ups now. You're like, no, nothing can be earlier than two a.m. I mean, it's a really good job that I love my job so much. But yeah, it was brutal. But I had a really lovely weekend, and then today I had my mummy MOT. Oh yes, tell us about it. How was yeah. it? Well, you've obviously had one before, so you kind of knew yeah. what to expect. But Claire Bourne, who's been on the podcast, she yes. came round because um, obviously just doing home visits at the moment, and I didn't know what to expect. We did a full examination um, and she told me that because of the episiotomy and because of the tear, the left-hand side of my pelvic floor isn't firing properly. So she thinks there may have been nerve damage because of the forceps and everything else. So she said that basically brain to pelvic floor message is being lost. So on the right-hand side, quite a strong pelvic floor. On the left-hand side, not firing at all. So So I didn't know that when you check your, when you do your pelvic floor, I thought it was all in the vagina but actually you're supposed to hold wind so hold wind one two three four five let go and that it was i was like oh so you do squeeze your bum hole yeah yeah because that's the problem isn't it is that so many of us don't know if we're doing it right or not that seeing a proper women's physio can even if you don't think you've got a huge issue or any issues it's so important to go because just to know how to do your exercises as well yeah I mean I literally had no idea it was fascinating and then when she when she like used inserted a finger and used that I could really focus on my pelvic floor area because I had some sort of gauge as to where it was because I could feel the pressure but when she took her finger out um I didn't know what I was doing so I'm gonna have to work on it um I'm gonna really focus on doing it because I don't want to keep leaking when I'm on the treadmill or when I'm doing a jump I don't want to keep leaking when I sneeze like I want to get this sorted 
Yeah. So exactly. I'm going to do it. But good news is that my diastasis recti, uh, the stomach muscles have sealed over nearly. So I'm nearly Brilliant. there with that. So that's really good. Amazing. Yeah. So all good. What about you, G? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was all right. I mean, I was on my own. Um, James was playing away this weekend. So it's always a tough one when you're literally the sole parent, like from the second you wake up to the second you go to bed. And I don't know what it is about the weekend. I said this on Instagram. I feel like in the week, I wouldn't even give that a second thought. You know, so many of us do it. But at the weekend, it feels like you should be getting a break. (laughs) No, no, I know. (laughs) And also you feel like you're missing out on loads of fun because you're like, oh, everyone else is doing stuff. But literally no one's doing anything at the moment. So I feel like every day just rolls into the same one, doesn't it? (laughs) It doesn't make any difference if it's a Monday (laughs) or a Saturday. We'll get drunk together soon, I promise. Yes, please. Absolutely. (laughs) Please do that. (laughs) Um, So today's podcast is dedicated to baby loss awareness week georgia and i really wanted to have a discussion around baby loss and miscarriage and we we just yeah we were obviously shocked and and really saddened by the photographs of chrissy teigen and john legend after losing their baby jack a couple of weeks ago and yeah yeah we just felt like it was a really important subject to be highlighting uh, lots of people have been through it or going through it um something that Georgia and I haven't experienced. It is a very tricky conversation to have. It's very uncomfortable in parts, but super important. Um, yeah. You agree, right, G? Absolutely. Um, I think, as, as Zoe said, neither of us have experienced it. And sometimes it's very difficult um, to know what the right thing to say is. And mm. um, if you haven't been through it, knowing how to support friends and family who have um, without fear of getting it wrong. And um, so that's, you know, is this episode isn't just for people who have experienced baby loss. It's for everybody to educate people, to inform people and, you know, just so that we all have a better understanding um, of what people go through. Yeah, so let's get into the chat. Today, we're talking to Dr. Petra Boynton. So today's guest couldn't be more informed around this subject. A social psychologist, an agony aunt, uh, a lady who specialises in researching reproductive health. She also teaches clinicians and other academics how to work safely and ethically. She has written a book around the subject of miscarriage and baby loss. Today, we're talking to Dr. Petra Boynton. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you on. We're absolutely over the moon that you're chatting to us today. Um, Obviously, being baby loss awareness week we really wanted to kind of shine a light on baby loss and we thought you would be the perfect person to kind of talk to it about you've written a book about it and you've obviously experienced it yourself so for anybody that hasn't heard of you doesn't know what you're about can you just tell us who you are Petra? Yeah well my name's Petra and I'm a psychologist as you said and I have been working in healthcare for a very long time um, mainly teaching people how to do research but I've also had three miscarriages. And when I had my miscarriages, particularly my last two, um, I really struggled. I was working in a sort of hospital environment by my day job, but I couldn't manage it myself when I was experiencing my own losses. And so I felt very alone and really struggled. But some while after, I thought, well, you know, maybe should I do something with this? So I thought, well, I'll write a bit. And I wrote a couple of articles which were very positively received. And I then went on to write a self-help book that's basically designed to help people navigate uh, the whole process of loss and what comes after um, so that they know what to do and where to get help and they don't have to feel alone. Yeah. Can you just talk through your experience and, you know, some of the maybe negative comments that 
you know, were aimed at you after you experienced your loss or things that didn't help? Yeah, I mean, I think in both of my losses, um, both of my miscarriages, the physical care, I couldn't fault it. So yeah. I was seen promptly and and everything I needed was done in a very functional, very efficient way. And I think lots of people will say the same. Sometimes things do go clinically wrong, but lots of people, I think, especially with early miscarriages, will say that the physical care was as probably as good as it could be. Yeah. But nobody asked me how I was doing. Nobody asked me how I was feeling. Um, for my um, both of my my second and my third miscarriages, where I was managed in hospital, it was on a general women's ward, and so I mm-hmm. was there with people having hysterectomies alongside a woman who came in having a late loss, which was extremely traumatic for her, but also to witness was really really tough. Yeah. Um, I when I went for scans and things, that was done within a maternity setting so of course you're sitting there with people with bumps and happy news and you haven't had that news so you leave either mm-hmm. without a scan or feeling very much like a failure um, you're in a hospital so you're seeing people carrying balloons and babies and things around you can hear babies crying it, it's really a very difficult environment and although I knew wearing my sort of health researcher hat that you can't redesign hospitals and sort this out a lot of it really seemed to be very poorly done so um in my second loss i had that and the um in one hospital but i was due to have my scan done at another hospital and they rang me and said oh it's time for your scan and i said oh but i've miscarried and they said oh well no point in coming in and and that was it and, oh. and i just thought this can't be right so yeah. i think you know for the, for both the loss well the, both the losses that happened in hospital but all of them were hard but it was this experience of I wouldn't say negative healthcare. It was just not compassionate. It was nobody yeah. gave me a leaflet. Nobody told me there was a helpline. Nobody told me there was a memorial service. No one said I could talk about it. And then when I got pregnant and those pregnancies did go to term, no one talked about it in those pregnancies either. So I was hugely stressed that I was going to experience another loss. Yeah. But nobody talked about it. And it's incredible, really, that nobody discusses it when one in four pregnancies end in a loss. I, yeah. I couldn't believe that stat yeah. when I saw that today. Yeah, it's a it's a high level. Yeah, it's a high. So so so, what is it about this subject that we are we're not willing to face and, and not wanting to discuss? Oh, I mean, as in, there's a large group of us that want to talk about it, but the healthcare professionals potentially don't want to go there. They kind of you know brush it under the carpet a bit and say, oh well, you know, it does happen a lot, so just got to get on with it. Why are we not having that level of care? I think it depends on on the kind of loss you have and the kind of healthcare you are getting. So I do think that things are slowly improving for people who are having late miscarriages and stillbirths or whose babies die soon or after birth. I think in those cases, bereavement midwives are amazing. More hospitals are putting, they are incredible and more hospitals are putting in bereavement suites. It doesn't obviously make up in any way for the fact that your baby has died. It doesn't take away from that loss, but it does mean that that could be managed managed a little bit more compassionately it might be that you have help making a memory box or photographing your loss or or a coaching through what's going to come and and the funerals or whatever services that follow so that I think is better yeah but you can again meet problems in that when you if you get pregnant um again afterwards that there'll be a lot of misinformation or misunderstanding or talking about the fact that 
not acknowledging, for example, you've had a baby, you know, your baby didn't live, but you've had a baby, you are a parent, and now you're pregnant again. So that needs extra work. And I'd say for um, a lot of early miscarriage, it's the fact that, that I think staff are busy. But yeah. also, I think that they're worried that if they start a conversation with you, you will want to talk and they don't know how to deal with it. They're not taught how to deal with it. Um, and I, I think also, as you said, it's so common if you think about general practice or accident emergency or the places where you might be going first before you go to um, uh, maternity care or to see obstetric care it's very common for them and so they I think forget that it's not necessarily common or normal or okay in any way for you Mm -hmm. Um, so you'll get sort of functional care but you won't necessarily get sympathetic care and what lots of people want is answers and unfortunately there aren't always answers but you can still convey that in a sympathetic way I think. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you've had a miscarriage and you then go on to get pregnant again, do you talk about that loss with your midwife when you're then pregnant again? And is there an, you know, is there an extra level of care? Well, there should be, but often yeah. there isn't. And I think right. lots of people listening who have had losses before um, and have gone on to have a baby will know exactly what that feels like. So there is an option or a system where you can have it put on your notes. Um, the, the butterfly symbol that you sometimes see people using is used on notes. In some places, they'll put a butterfly sticker. So that signifies to the practitioner this person has had a loss before so that that will be in the conversations you have with them. And it could be as simple as the fact that you're remembering babies you've lost. It might be that you're highly anxious. It may be that they need to pay more attention to you because you are high risk of losing pregnancy again. So all of those things I think are possible but they don't necessarily happen and of course why would you know to ask for them and even if you did know not everybody feels confident in saying I mean and I found actually I did say that I'd had losses before and it was like nobody acknowledged it they carried on just dealing with me with my standard care for the baby I was carrying so I, I think there are always options but yeah at the moment we it's just patchy in the way that that's delivered now, obviously, um, you are not a medical doctor, so um, any sort of medical questions would maybe be something that you wouldn't want to answer. But do they give any reasons as to why women miscarry in those first three months? And are there more common reasons to it? Or is it an anomaly? I mean, most often it's an anomaly, and, and especially with very early losses. And and something that's changed, I think, from the past is we are actually much better at testing for pregnancy very early. So it may yeah. have been in the past that our grandmothers would have had lots of early losses, but they wouldn't have known about it. They may have been sad that they were trying for a baby and they got their period and and, and they dealt with that that sort of sadness. But it's not the same as knowing that you were you were pregnant and then finding that you weren't. So a lot of the time it will be that it's just, I know it's awful. and I hated being told this, so I don't quite know why I'm saying it, but it's just one of those things. It's a sad mm-hmm. thing that happens, you know, that, that, that 
the, for whatever reason, um, either the, the, the fetus can't survive or it doesn't grow. Mm -hmm. And you may often find that at the scan. I mean, that certainly um, was the case for me, although I'd started bleeding for my second miscarriage, it was the scan that confirmed it. Some people haven't had any bleeding. They discover when they go for that three-month scan that this mm -hmm. is not going to be a pregnancy that, that carries on. And that can be really hard. So, yeah. I mean, generally what happens is, especially with early losses, is that you may have a loss maybe several and then you go on to get pregnant and sometimes you don't but they usually expect you to have had several before they start to investigate yeah. and that that can be tricky because of course you know if you're older and you're concerned about that you may not want to keep waiting and for those using IVF it can be really difficult because it's it's not as simple as just trying again it's an expensive no. and complex and difficult process so yeah that yes I mean I think that the tricky things is it's that they they can tell you what it might be but you may never know and that living with not knowing is hard because it also comes with guilt it's that did I do something wrong yeah, no, it's going to be my next question, actually, about how you felt, what feelings were there when you knew you'd miscarried? Yeah, I think um, the, the second, so the first time, interestingly, I, I didn't know I was pregnant. So I had been very ill and I was taking the pill at the time, but I'd been very, very sick and it obviously hadn't worked. But because I'd been so ill, you know, missing periods wasn't really on my my radar. So yeah. it was actually only when I had my second miscarriage that when they'd asked me had it happened before, I said yes, because I suddenly realised that, yes, it had. It's just at the time I thought I, I thought I was miscarrying, but then I thought, well, I can't have been pregnant. It was so confusing that I just didn't know. Um, but I think when I had my second miscarriage, it confirmed for me that all the things that had happened the first time, which I managed right. at home, yeah. was a, a first miscarriage. Um, with the second one, yes, I did feel guilty. It goes through your mind, you know, I, perhaps I shouldn't have exercised or had sex or at that food or, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really sure what had happened for my third one I didn't feel as guilty I kind of wanted answers so I almost used myself as a guinea pig at that point and I kept asking the doctors loads of really awkward questions I think they wanted me to go home from hospital <laughs> quite soon because I was like asking them really things like well you know when can I have sex again and they're like well I don't really think you should be asking that question I think oh. you probably oh. should be sad and then looking at me as if I was having some terrible grief reaction by asking them all these sort of strange questions about my well-being and care um but yes the second one definitely I felt like I'd I'd felt yeah, that I, I was, I had caused it or that, that I, I somehow mm -hmm. couldn't hold on. I couldn't hold on. It's a strange feeling of just not being able to hold something. Yeah. And do you think, you know, that these feelings, you know, play a role in the fact that society says that we shouldn't talk about our pregnancy in our, until after the 12 week mark? Yes, I think it plays a lot to do with it. And I think it can differ. In different cultures, it's more acceptable to talk about it early on. In, in other cultures, you don't talk about it hardly at all. Yeah. But we've built this idea that, yes, you mustn't say anything to the 12-week much, which it, it can give the wrong impression because most of my losses happened around that time. So it's almost like you think, oh, I've got to that point, And then actually you haven't. But also, I think if you've had lots of losses, not being able to talk about that yeah. is also very hard. Yes, it's that exactly. sense that, you know... I, I can understand people don't want to jinx it. You know, you don't want to talk about it for fear it will happen again. But equally, you desperately want to talk about it for fear it will happen again. So you're really caught uh, in knowing what's the right thing to say. And quite often, 
if you haven't told other people around you, so it might be you haven't told your workmates or even your family, you, you, if you haven't told them you are pregnant, how do you then tell them you're not pregnant? It, yes. it, it can really trap you. Georgia and I discuss this all the time, Petra, that um, the secrecy around the 12 week mark or the fact that you have to get there before you start telling people you're pregnant, then you go, then, you know, God forbid you go through a miscarriage. And then at that point, you then don't have anybody to lean on, nobody. And when you do, if you decide to tell people that you've gone through your miscarriage, they're, they're kind of like, well, they weren't with you on the pregnancy journey. No one was checking in on you. Nobody was there for you because they didn't know. So then there isn't even enough love or warmth around that and support given to that miscarriage because nobody knew you were pregnant. It's it's a bizarre thing. It's a bizarre process and it's a bizarre programming that we've come to as a society where we don't want to discuss our pregnancies, I feel, before 12 weeks. Because I feel like at that point, you're also maybe suffering from fatigue, everything that goes into growing a human, but there's nobody there to support you. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, it's it's a very personal choice and I can see why some people don't want to disclose it and some people feel unsafe to. I mean, lots yeah. of people talk about, you know, that workplaces are not safe places and especially at the moment if, if jobs are scarce, that whole fear of, of if I tell them I'm trying, um, I could, you know, miss out on that promotion or lose my job. So I can see why people oh, don't. Well, and I think also, we're, yeah, we haven't, that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. program, isn't it? But if you've got people who are, are also had a lot of losses, they may feel so traumatized they can't talk. But I do think mm. that you're right. This idea that there's this pressure, that there's a magical point you will turn and that means you won't have a loss, means any kind of late miscarriages or stillbirths are a huge shock. But also, the fact that you might find abnormalities, a later scan, you know, again, that the five week, the five month scan, rather, people often see that as a sort of sexing scan rather than actually it's a, it's checking for all sorts of things that can, can cause lots of complex discussions and conversations to happen. But yeah. the idea that, that if you don't tell people, I think the, the, the other issue I've certainly heard from lots of people is that having told somebody they've miscarried or even that sometimes it's discovered. So it happens at work or it happens at home and other people witness it. They, they then take their grief out on you. So why didn't you tell me and what was going on? And that can be really, really difficult to navigate as well. Because as you say, there's that, that whole support and love wasn't there and it still may not be there mm. because people yeah. are reacting, you know, in unhelpful or uncaring ways. What happens, because I, I Georgia and I know this part of when you have a late miscarriage, what care is offered to you or any, any miscarriage, but if you actually have to, you know, um, deliver the baby, what, what sort of care is there for those parents? Because there's lots of talk about um, cuddle cots and, you know, the photographs that can be done. Um, so, yeah, what, what sort of support is there in hospital at that time? I mean, it will vary, but they've been trying to get all hospitals to implement what they call the National Bereavement Care Pathway. And that sets out a series of, of steps that should happen for any right. kind of loss, be that, you know, very early on through to an infant that dies up until the first year. So it, it, that would be suggesting things like, if you know it's going to happen, counselling before and after that you can have the access to a bereavement suite and a bereavement midwife that there's clear communication all the way along that you can access services 
that you know charities or um, photographers or other people that will come in and support you and your family there's also bereavement doulas that you can use now so that they will actually come in and help you navigate that whole difficult situation some people find that a very moving and very powerful and very meaningful experience and that they actually say although it's horribly sad they would not have wanted to go without it some people really find it hugely traumatic there mm-hmm. is the option of, of a cuddle cot um it's basically a, 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 a cold cot or a refrigerator so it's a refrigerated unit which looks like a baby bed and you have the option of keeping baby with you for a time afterwards until you feel able to say goodbye um and that will be a navigated oh. process with a bereavement midwife and with charities you have the option at that time if you want to hold your baby or sing to them or photograph yeah. them or wash them or dress them or all the things you can do that however it does depend on how far along you were with the pregnancy because sometimes the baby isn't developed enough that you could do that with yeah. and sometimes due to the way that the birth has happened the baby isn't it you, it would not be possible to have a baby to hold on to in that way however mm-hmm. A sensitive bereavement midwife can, for example, swaddle the baby so you have something physical to hold. They can talk you through it. Some parents would love to look. Um, And in fact, there was a thing at one point where we went from, I think, what would have happened in our grandparents and even our parents' generation, that it was believed that if you showed parents babies or, or, or even talked about it, it would increase the trauma. So the babies would be quickly taken away um, and and so you'd have delivered the baby and sometimes you didn't know it was going to die and sometimes you did and and that would be the last time you ever saw them Um, and obviously that is horrible I still get as an agony art letters from people in their 80s and 90s who that happened to who never got that chance to say goodbye and they want to talk about it and I think we're much better at doing that now the fact that we can have this conversation I know for some people it will be shocking because they haven't had to think about it before or shocking because they know exactly what it feels like but we can do that but I I do think that that, that we then went to a sort of phase where it was mandated almost that you must show babies and insist on them being held and some people don't want that so it needs to be a navigated process the problem is is that not everywhere is as well set up to do that and quite often people say they had excellent support in hospital but then they went home and that stopped, you know, they didn't know what to do. And often, especially if you've had, say, twins or, or triplets, and yeah. one, that mm. one or more of them have died, the focus is then on the baby that yeah. has lived, particularly if they're premature and they have lots of special needs. And so you go home then with a baby or perhaps a baby that's in intensive care and um, and not a baby. So the, there's this whole kind of sense of, of real mixed up feelings there. But yeah. yes, for a late loss or for a stillbirth or a baby that uh, that dies soon after birth there's that option I mean there's also the option that if your baby is not going to survive for very long and you choose to continue with the pregnancy and some people don't so termination for medical reasons is an option that lots of people very sensibly choose because that's the right choice for them yeah. if you do decide to have your baby and you know it's going, not going to live you can have the option of for example being able to go out for a walk or to sit outside in the hospital grounds to have somewhere that you're not necessarily in a medical setting for those final moments but that should be explained to you and and part of the sort of work I've done really with writing this book is to set out these options because no one wants yeah. to have to make these choices but if if you're not told they exist yeah you can't ask for them or your partner can't ask for them 
Exactly. Um, we obviously saw the you know the devastating loss um, that Chrissy Teigen and John Legend suffered um, recently, and also some terrible comments that came on the back of them sharing photos. Um, and then we read that actually photos taken during you know devastating times can actually help parents with the grieving process. Um, is that you know is that is that something that you see a lot? Yes, it is, and I think it's it's um, it's an interesting one in that I, I think that there were a lot of trolls went after uh, Chrissy Teigen. It, it was all it was horrible to see. Yeah, was, I found that was. very hard actually yes. to to digest that moment yes. because I felt so much love for her and so much empathy and try you know it's yeah. just devastating to see wasn't it and how brave they were to share those photographs and then to read the trot the, the comments I mean heartbreaking yeah. stuff absolutely and I think it's I mean, there's sort of two things to draw from that I think one is that the photos if people have seen them that the, I think the main one they've seen is the one of her, either her crying or the one of her holding um, baby Jack in in the uh, blanket but there's a couple of others that are much more about the medical care received and I think that helps normalize it that we see yeah. what actually happens yes it's upsetting but also you know you can go through it because you've seen someone else go through it and I think yes. that's profoundly brave to do and they didn't they have are. to do it and I think they should it's great that they wanted to. Um, and I think a lot of the abuse they got, unfortunately, was was also around the fact that they've taken a stance against racism. So there was a sort of racist element to it, which made it all the more awful, particularly if you think about the sort of higher rates um, around sort of um, baby loss for, for black women and, and that whole yeah, kind of issue Twice as likely yeah, to experience baby twice loss. Likely. Five times more likely to die in, in childbirth. It's it's horrific and and not accidental either. I mean, it's, it's, it's just awful. Um, so I think that that context made it much worse. But I, I think what was really interesting was this whole thing that a lot of people, um, and, and I kind of, I saw it happening because I'd shared that photo. And then suddenly yeah. people, you know, were sort of on my timeline saying, ah, oh, but, you know, photo opportunity and uh, it can't oh, be really God. grieving and it's staged. And, and actually it allowed lots of people to say, and stop really these trolls in their tracks, which is actually, no, that's what people do. Not everybody wants to. Some people, um, if they know they're going to have a loss, hospitals work with charities. There's one called Remember My Baby that works in the UK. And yeah. that's photographers. Uh, they are, are professional photographers who will come and for free work with you very discreetly in ways that you feel are appropriate to take photos of your baby now sometimes you'll be in those photos and sometimes you won't right. um, sometimes people can't bear to look at the photos right away but their uh, bereavement midwives will pop them in a memory box and sometime yeah. later you've got it because it's one of those things that you may not be able to choose there and then you might think I don't want it but later if you regret it then yeah you know there's no going back so I think that it's a really helpful thing that you've got as an option should you want it and most people do it as a mm -hmm. private thing some of them have the pictures at home some of them want to share them on on social media mm -hmm. there's an interesting aspect to that in that quite often people don't necessarily use a professional photographer or a volunteer photographer because they weren't available they will take photos on their phones they will want to share them and social media quite often um, censors them because uh, they consider too graphic. So there's a whole issue wow. there also of, of you trying to share your baby and yeah. talk about your baby and name your baby, perhaps even on things like Mother's Day or Father's Day when these are meaningful moments. And either you have it censored or sometimes people will say absolutely appalling things 
Sometimes I think through ignorance, I think a lot of people were ignorant that they didn't know bereavement photographers existed or cold yeah. calls existed. And a lot of them, because they didn't know it was existed, didn't really care, just wanted to be horrible. But it, it, it you can bring them to a, a, well, not the most dedicated horrible trolls, but a lot of them will be brought to a fairly sharp shock, um, stop if you say to them, well, this is, this is normal for some people. Yeah. This is what they do. But also, this is the only photograph that they have of their baby. That baby had a life. Yes. Yeah. You know, was was a person, has a name, you know, belonged to, to, to a person, two people, however many, you know. And, and you know, I, I, the only grief, real grief I've experienced in my life was losing my father. I post a photograph of him every year on his birthday and he's smiling and he's happy because those are the photographs that I have of him. I have the memories. These parents don't have that. They have yeah. the photographs of their baby who has died. We should be encouraging and supporting rather than tearing down. It like bre- it breaks my heart. I mean, I've got tears in my eyes. It's mm. it's an awful thing that anybody should be victimized over something like that. And Absolutely. also everyone should be able to grieve in exactly the way that they want to. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. And I think that's an interesting one as well in terms of, the way that we sort of depict things within, uh, especially I think the media, which is where most people will find out about loss. So if you look at sort of say soap operas, it's it's usually quite sort of um, dramatic and and sort of clutching the stomach, and then it's over very quickly. Mm. Um, but then there's probably a subplot coming later where you'll go crazy and steal someone else's baby, which I think lots of people find very upsetting and yeah. and, and yeah. sad. Um, or you do get sort of photos where people talk about their loss, but it's after the loss. So they look very together and, and happy and polished. And, you know, compelling stories are always sort of celebrities looking attractive. So you don't see the point where they were sort of unhinged by grief or they hadn't washed for weeks and hadn't changed their clothes or they're literally torn apart by it. Um, we, we don't see that sort of side to loss, which I think makes although we are getting better at sharing stories I think they are shared in a specific way and and yeah one of the things I found um when I when I wrote the book was that um I think I was probably quite naive I I thought that because the book tells other people's stories it's it's got lots mm. of drawings of people's situations and stories and I tried to be as diverse as possible and it also then talks about what you do and where to get help and and some of the sort of evidence that we know it doesn't really talk about me I think there's a line that says I've had three miscarriages it's not my story mm. uh, there are lots of books like that which I think are fantastic and and I recommend them because sometimes that's what you want to read mm-hmm. to feel less alone but yeah. I was really signposting to help and I naively thought well you know those things would be interesting enough but of course you know that's not how media worked and having worked in it for a while I should have known that but I didn't so I was asked you know could I write a story could I tell my story could I talk about things and I I did a bit and then it was well have you got a photo of you crying and being sad about your loss have you got a photo of you during your miscarriage and of course you know I hid my miscarriage I hid my pregnancies I hid my miscarriages i didn't document that moment so yeah. interestingly Chrissy Deacon gets criticized for sharing her picture yeah, I, exactly. I couldn't get any coverage because I didn't have the requisite mm. you know sad picture and then they wanted like pictures of me with my bump and at that point I realized really very sadly I have hardly any because you don't photograph what you're scared to lose so yes, I didn't have want. that mm. um, and then what they wanted was me to have a, a photo shoot with my children which in itself isn't a problem. I don't. I don't have a problem with obviously rainbow. What we call rainbow babies. So the babies you've had after a loss. Yes. Yeah. But 
what I didn't like was the sense that it was a happy ever after story. So yes. I'd written a book that was trying to say, look, lots of us don't have happy ever afters. Even if we have babies, we can struggle with mental health problems. I, I certainly did. I desperately wanted to have babies, but I was really struggling afterwards. Mm. And this sense that everybody just tries half enough and can get pregnant and that the only babies that count are the ones that that don't die yeah. really ran counter. So because I didn't have this stuff to offer, there wasn't a story to to promote the book. So I, I found all of that really quite tricky. And I think yeah. there is an issue of what stories do we tell and whose stories count that as we sort of, you know, the whole thing around miscarriage and baby loss is that it's supposed to be breaking the silence that we're only breaking the silence for some people. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing point, actually. And, and we feel really strongly about shining a light on everybody's story because it doesn't matter if you've got, you know, 10 million Instagram followers or, you know, 105, you know, baby loss is baby loss and everybody needs to yeah. be heard and everybody needs to be supported. Um, I, I wanted to discuss the impact that it has on a relationship and what you hear and what you've heard through the stories that have been told to you about how it really affects the couple yeah I mean it's it's it I think to sort of a quick answer and I'll do a longer one the quick answer is it will either bring you together or blow the whole thing apart and that might be to do with the whole relationship beforehand it might have already been struggling it might be that it was that everything that happened was just too much to bear um but it's interesting so partners so it could be husbands or boyfriends or wives or girlfriends um partners generally um, react quite similarly. We, we tend to think, and I certainly there used to be a, a belief that that um, if partners were considered, it was only in the form of husbands and they were assumed to not be bothered yeah. really. It was, you know, yeah. and so there was no outlet for them to talk. And, and to a degree, that's still the case. But I think we're getting better at sort of acknowledging that that families are all different and that um, yeah. partnerships are all different and that that the whole kind of reaction which can be grief and loss and rage jealousy um numbness all, all these different yeah. reactions can be held by anybody you know the, yeah. the, the person who's had the physical loss and the person who loves them but you i think that, that the sort of the role of the partner is then expected to be the one that does the coping that phones everybody that sorts out the yes. house that maybe yeah. cleans up if the the loss happened at home who uh is bringing in the food and doing the shopping and if you've got existing children caring for them and is not expected to talk about things and often partners will say well if i if i talk about how i feel you know my my partner who i love is going through this physical loss you know, it's it's overshadowing them or it takes it away or it's going to make them a burden to carry. So I don't want to. And then that can convert to thinking, well, they didn't care. So yes. that can cause yeah. resentment. So a lot of issues happen within relationships because of communication problems that people yeah. don't feel able to say how sad they feel. Sometimes one of you does feel more sad and then that introduces guilt. Sometimes one of you is hit by the feelings on a different day or a different month or a different year than the other person. Um, yeah. So that all of that can make a difference. And communication failure and breakdown is a big problem. Sometimes you want to try again quickly. And if both of you want that, that's fine, although it's a taboo. And we don't talk about the fact that, you know, people can experience loss and want to have sex really very rapidly afterwards. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's for comfort as well as anything else. And that's a huge taboo. We, 
we don't really talk about. And it's a tricky one because I think you have to pick your moment to talk about it. Because sometimes I think when people are grieving, they don't really want to think that you're giving them sex tips. It just feels sort of inappropriate. But it is something that some people want to do. And some people are just driven by this desire to get pregnant again quickly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. often there's a mismatch. So it might be that you want to, but your partner doesn't. One of you may experience psychosexual problems. Both of you might experience psychosexual problems. If you've got to keep on trying, the whole joy of that intimacy goes that you can be intimate while grieving. So those things coexisting is is hard. Um, if you don't get pregnant again, that's difficult, especially if family or community or faith or culture is pressuring you. Um, and also, I think if you do get pregnant again, either quickly or at some point, that can then bring in extra tensions because you're worried it'll happen again you know yeah um partners often have very graphic memories especially if they've been there while it was happening that that you actually might not remember you know especially if you were um either very distressed or on medication that that um you know you don't you don't necessarily process it in the same way um and then of course if you have a difficult birth or a problem with your baby or another miscarriage or another stillbirth or another ectopic pregnancy you know whatever might happen can be really really difficult so I think it it can cause problems and the thing that's helped I think in relationships is being able to grieve in your own way and it might be do that together or separately it might be that you draw on other people in your family or friendship group to help you Um, it might be that you use anything really that helps I mean some people I remember talking to one guy and he said during the loss that he he installed a cat flap because he just didn't know what else to do he just couldn't think of it so you might do something completely irrational but it's the thing that helps you get through it and Mm -hmm. it might be that counselling is something that's appropriate with a counsellor that understands loss at a later stage um, yeah because you know part of it is this is a sad and awful thing that happens you have to kind of experience that you can't fix it or pretend it hasn't happened or try and sort yeah. of heal it right away if we've you know got friends who may be going through this or family who may you know might have something like this might have happened to how can we support them well I think it's important that it's just to acknowledge it uh, because yeah. the, the, the whole thing about we you know we were talking earlier about you know if you haven't told people and then you do or if you feel like you can't talk about it in the whole 12 week mark or you know if you've had a later loss it's really really hard I think if that you do tell somebody that you've experienced any kind of pregnancy or baby loss they either just don't say anything which is awful or they say well I'm sorry but then it's never spoken of again yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I think, you know, that, and that happens a lot. And I think it's because people don't, they're not being cruel. I think they don't want to upset you or they just don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting, actually, just sort of briefly return to the sort of whole thing of photographing loss and talking about loss that if you, you, you know, in the past, we were probably better at this. I reckon that in some ways, the Victorians, they took photos of their babies that died, those that could afford to do so. And they talked yes. about them. And you would have known lots of people who'd had losses. Babies died a lot and people talked about them a lot. Um, sometimes they just hid it away, but mostly they didn't. Uh, and, and I think over time, as we've changed the way that we talk about pregnancy, the way that we you know, have babies, the fact that everything is much more done within a health system, that we don't this, we don't see this thing happening as much anymore. And so we don't know what to do when we're confronted with it. Yeah. And I think also we are scared because we don't want it to happen to us. We don't want to say the wrong thing. So we yeah. say nothing. Yeah, exactly. Nothing. 
In- yeah. Interestingly, I've I've actually got two very close friends of mine. One who's lost um, six babies, and the other who's lost nine, and very tra- tragic actually. And I say to both of them what do you need from me? I'm going to, um, do you, do you want me to ask you how you are, how you're feeling? Do you want to talk about the babies? Do you want to talk about your body? Do you want to talk about trying to get pregnant again? Like, well, I, I will just very much put it out whether that's the right thing to do, but they respond with, thank you for checking in and thank you for asking. And I think it's like you said, Petra, when we stop asking and we stop yeah. talking about it and we just pretend that it hasn't happened, that can really bring a feeling of isolation and the, the dealing with the grief by ourselves not feeling like we have anybody to share with it because everybody else is getting on with their lives and they've got smiles on their faces and we've got this miscarriage sign above our heads um absolutely and i think think asking your friends yeah I think yeah, that's such keeping good the conversation advice. going. Yeah, I think that's such good advice. And especially because, you know, they can, they may not know what they want, but they might. And if you've opened that door, you know, there's a space to do it. And and I think it's interesting also that culturally in the UK, particularly, especially in England, that there's this sense that if, if someone's had something happen, you either don't talk about it or you wait for them to say they need something. Whereas I think in mm. lots of other cultures, you know, you this, you just turn up, you would be there. Yeah. You turn up yeah. with a, a meal or a, um, you know, I'll do the housework or I'll help you. You know, you would not expect somebody to, to even have to ask. So I, I know that we're often quite protective of, of, of not interfering or, or doing the wrong thing or taking over. But sometimes actually just showing up and saying, look, right, I've got you the shopping for the week or I'll go and do your shopping. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Thing I've put the kettle on. Let's just do something. Yeah. Asking them, you know, did they name their babies? Remembering that date, sending a card. Um, I, I, I was reading recently about somebody who talked about the fact that when they, when they, their baby had died, they came home and there were lots of sorry for your loss cards, which was nice. But nobody bought them a baby card apart from their midwife, and they bought them a, a boy, a blue boy baby card, and then they written inside that I'm sorry your baby couldn't stay with you. And I think it's. Yeah. it's I think we we are often afraid of, of opening ourselves up to grief and, and mm-hmm. to being open and speaking with love and from our hearts because we're so scared of doing it wrong. You know, you might it might be a bit cheesy, you might get it a bit wrong, but I think that, that people, unless they're really struggling, will know you meant well. And if you get it yeah. a bit wrong, well, you can try again and do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay to keep trying. I think it's don't be sort of put off that if you try to talk to somebody and they're angry or shouting or or very distressed that that, that that it's so upsetting you don't try again. I mean, obviously you need to protect yourself, especially if you've been through loss too. But I do think there's this sense that that you can keep on trying or even saying to somebody, "I'm just here for you." Yes. Um, weeks and months after, because again, also you do find people will rally round right away, but six months or a year later they haven't at all yeah. and, and and being mindful I think that if you then get pregnant and your friend has not um, or even if they get pregnant again that, that the baby does not disappear if that's what they want some people want to just never talk about it again but most people do especially with a late loss um one final question. Obviously, we are in the middle of a pandemic at the moment. So the the sort of facilities available for people going through baby loss necessarily, you know, might not be there, i.e. support groups that you can actually physically go to. So people that are going through it at the moment, where can they get good information and good levels of support online? 
Well, all of the baby loss charities, and there are lots of them. I mean, Baby Loss Awareness Week's been going for 18 years now, and I think it started with a couple of charities, and I can't remember how many there are. Over 60, I think, now, because every year people sort of set up their own organisations. Some are big and some are small, some are local and some are national. So all of those are still offering support online. They can't mostly meet face-to-face, but they are doing online things. Um, So those are worth looking for is there something in your local area or if you're not sure contact sort of national charities and ask them if there's any local support groups most of them have got um, support on Facebook so those are worth joining Um, a lot of the charities have got telephone support or email support so you could message them and get a reply they mostly also have resources whether that's videos or um, booklets to to read that will reassure you that you're not alone or perhaps explain the processes. And there's lots now. They, they didn't used to be, but I think in the last two or three years, there's a number of books around baby loss to have a look at to sort of either read people's stories that you can connect with or get some practical advice, ideas for how to remember your baby or whatever it is you would like to do to care for your own mental health. You can speak to your GP. I mean, it's interesting that that we forget that, that you know, having been pregnant, and then lost a baby, all those pregnancy hormones will still shift in the same way as if you'd had a baby. So the idea of experiencing depression because of your loss, but also depression in terms of antenatal depression because you or postnatal depression because you've been pregnant is an issue. So if you feel yourself really unraveling or other people around you are concerned, then your GP you can still talk to. Um, midwives you can still talk to. Um, you can ask to be connected with a bereavement midwife if that hasn't happened. Services are limited and it might be that you may need someone to advocate for you if you just can't do it at the moment. And for people listening who've got a friend who's going through loss, it might be that you volunteer to do that role. You know, don't take over, but if they'd like you to do it, find them these places. Because I think, you know, when you're feeling depressed and alone and, and isolated, especially with the pandemic, you know, that you can't get out and about as much, um, then I think if you've got somewhere that you can go and somebody's found that for you, that could be a very healing thing. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. What an amazing conversation. Petra, thank you so much for coming on. That, that's going to help so many people. And um, and I'm, we're so grateful that you've taken the time to talk to us. Thank you. Uh, it's, 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 it's nice to be able to just have a straightforward, open conversation about yeah. it it's I yeah. think you know it's it's just I know it's a really difficult topic but people do want to hear about it yes yeah absolutely we need to hear about thank it more you. so thank you we'll be right back after the short break ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Moments That Made Me with me, Roxy Nafusi, is back. And Series 2 has got some incredible guests lined up. Here is a little taster. People see mental illness as a weakness, but I think people with mental illness are stronger. I'm a proud gay man now. I feel proud every single day. So then I had to go about the task of trying to accept it because I wasn't going to get plastic surgery and I wasn't going to change it. You know, those moments in your life, it was like a thunderbolt. Was it really? A big time. The conversations I've been having have blown my mind and I cannot wait for you guys to hear what's to come. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss one of our amazing episodes. They will be out every Wednesday morning. That's The Moments That Made Me with me, Roxy Nafusi. Find it wherever you found this podcast. So welcome back. Uh, Back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Where were we? Wow. I know it's such it's such a difficult subject to talk and hear about but so important I just don't think you know how it feels or what you go through unless you experience it and you know we can sit here on the outside and have those discussions and it can really affect us which it has that chat has you know all those thoughts of the images of the you know the babies that have lost their lives and you know women that are going through it around the world um but it's really important to keep talking and i feel you know what like she said in there you know people just expect you lots of people expect you just to get back on with your life and that there isn't that time dedicated to the grief that you have to go through um exactly and also one thing that i think i'll really take away from that is that she said people will often you know say you know i'm so sorry for your loss and then that will be it they'll never speak of it again and it's mm-hmm. actually important to keep checking in with that person because you know we we do it in day-to-day life someone says to you oh how are you and the easiest thing to go is oh yeah cool i'm fine even if you're not mm-hmm. and you've said you're fine but that doesn't mean you're fine mm-hmm. and it will be the same you know if you've got friends or family going through something like this and you, you've you've sort of spoken about it once and they've said oh you know I'm okay or you know they've sort of not wanted to talk about it it is important to keep checking back in and Mm. seeing if they want to have that conversation Um, because sometimes people will find it more difficult to talk than others yeah completely agree really good point actually Um, if you have been affected by anything that we've spoken about on today's podcast please do send us a direct message you can also contact uh, Dr Petra on her Instagram she's just Petra Boynton she says she's happy to talk about anything around the subject so please don't feel like you're on your own we're here for you 24 7 you can always message us and there will be a a loving hug at the end of it um and yeah we're going to be back on friday with a Q&A podcast we would love you to rate review and subscribe to the podcast as well uh, and give us a little five star if if you can <laughs> yes please do um, and as Zoe said drop us a message anytime on our Instagram at Made by Mamas or on Zoe's own channel at Zoe Hardman we will also um, link some resources in the show notes um, so if you want to take a look at those and we'll see you on Friday can't wait see you then
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.